Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, there's a big vote going on with the Grain Services Union over the future of their possible strike action against Viterra. We'll have the latest on that. As well, canola futures are trying to find a stable point, but some positive news could provide the boost it needs. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo on that. Autonomous rail car loading may be coming to a grain terminal elevator near you. A new system has been developed by Rayhawk Industries for both the potash and grain sectors. We'll hear from Tom Bame, who spoke at Rayhawk's open house in Saskatoon yesterday. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskag Today. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to Saskang Today. The union, which represents about 436 Viterra employees, is counting members' votes today on accepting or rejecting the company's latest offer. Negotiations for a new deal between the General and Grain Services Union Locals 1 and 2 and Viterra Canada have been ongoing for over a year, but stalled over wages, a better work-life balance, and respect in the workplace. Earlier this month, the GSU issued 72-hour strike notice to Viterra, and the company made an offer in the 11th hour to avoid a strike. It primarily includes an overall wage increase of 13.25%, spread out over four years. Members of GSU Local 1, which are employees at Viterra Grain Elevators around the province, and Local 2, which are employees at the Viterra Head Office in Regina, had more than 10 days to review the offer and vote yay or nay on the deal. The expectation is an announcement of the results sometime this afternoon. Canola futures are trying to find a stable point, but some positive news could provide the boost it needs. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says the March canola contract is up about $10 a metric ton this week, to around $635. We might see a bit of bottoming here. I was looking at 640 as support. Uh, so if we are kind of staying below, I would still say we are in a bit uh, of a lower trend still. However, it kind of seems that uh, maybe the sellers are a little bit less active here kind of right now. Uh, there was actually some strong U.S. export sales last week with uh, corn and wheat above all expectations and soybeans and soy meal at the higher end. So that's kind of supporting a little bit of the soy markets and canola here right now. Piccolo says that's good news and it's spelling into the wheat futures even though the March Minneapolis wheat contract is relatively unchanged this week at around $6.97. He's hoping it will rise above $7 a bushel. 
He's heard from other experts that palm oil prices could rise this year by 4%, which would be good for canola. One thing kind of looking at uh, analysts, the biggest price influencers will be kind of Indonesia's B35 biodiesel mandate implementation. Uh, and an increase in supplies of uh, kind of rival veg oils, especially soy oil with soy output rising in South America. So uh, whenever we see kind of some of those the palm oil futures increasing, that should be supportive for canola. But uh, right now, I've, I've still been hearing really less demand and less exports in Canada uh, for canola. And that could kind of maybe keep the futures lower here for the next while. When asked about the ongoing protests in Germany over the government scrapping diesel fuel tax breaks for farmers, Piccolo says it hasn't been a big factor in the markets compared to conflicts in the Middle East. Honestly, I haven't really seen that uh, very much. I would say a bigger, you know, a kind of factor maybe this uh, right now is kind of some of the tensions in the Middle East, uh, kind of U.S. strikes and things like that. So we have some food prices a little bit more volatile. Um, but I haven't really seen any direct impact from the, the protests in Germany. Adam Piccolo is a commodity futures advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. A week-long protest by German farmers culminated in Berlin Monday with at least 10,000 farmers and more than 5,000 trucks and tractors. The farmers are upset with both reductions in fuel subsidies and the endless list of government regulations this is reporter Matthew Moore. Finance Minister Christian Lindner, one of the heads of this three-party coalition here in Berlin, made the somewhat unusual decision to speak to the farmers and he got a very frosty response. They basically booed him out completely. He was whistled, he couldn't really make himself heard, he had to shout at some point. At one point the head of the Farmers Association intervened to ask people to let him speak. But judging from this and the reception that he got, I don't think that people are ready to compromise. But the farmers here, they still feel that for years they've had their living situation made worse. The standard that they've had to deal with and the bureaucracy has only grown while their income has really stagnated. I just don't think that that is going to cut it for the farmers that we spoke to today. The additional levies on the agricultural sector were part of a package of measures intended to fill a huge gap in the German government's budget. Please stay tuned. Your Ag Review portion is next, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. GX94, AgriView. The federal government has announced more than $6 million in new spending for a study on a potential aviation fuel production site in Manitoba. It says the money will help Asia Sustainable Fuels Corporation deliver a front-end engineering and design study on the development of a facility primarily focused on producing sustainable aviation fuel, but that could also produce other renewable clean fuels. The government says the planned facility will be near Portage La Prairie, 
and is expected to create more than 1,500 jobs during and after construction. The facility is also expected to produce around 1 billion litres of sustainable aviation fuel annually, primarily from feedstock such as canola and soybean oils. Extreme cold temperatures in Western Canada have done little to move the needle on feed grain markets as corn continues to come up from the United States and end users appear well covered for the time being. While feed demand typically rises as temperatures fall, warmer weather in November and December has kept end users showing a reluctance to buy more grain. According to Suzanne Leclerc of Market Master Limited in Edmonton, the feedlots don't want to be overbought, adding they've had such good weather that they don't want to be buying more than they need. Leclerc says the general trend in barley pricing was flat to lower. However, she adds that there was a wide price spread with spot opportunities arising from time to time for minimal tonnage. The Nova Scotia government says it's working with beef producers on new projects and programs to increase production in the province. Agriculture Minister Greg Morrill says the government wants to increase local food consumption and the percentage of food budget spent on locally grown and produced foods. Under a new initiative, Morrow's department will help address the training needs of meat processors, help with new management practices and farm innovations aimed at climate change, and help to promote consumer awareness. There are 380 licensed beef producers in Nova Scotia. Officials in Quebec say they've tracked down and killed one of two escaped wild boars that have been on the loose since at least September. The Wildlife Department says a team located the female boar in an abandoned farm building about 110 kilometers northeast of Montreal. The government has been searching for the two boars ever since they were first spotted in the area on September 17th and had asked the public to help track them down. Boars in the wild are considered an invasive species and the government says they can damage crops and ecosystems, harm native animal species and spread parasites and diseases. A spokeswoman for the Wildlife Department says the animals are believed to have escaped from a facility in the area. She adds that the meat from the captured boar will be given to community organizations and that the search for the second missing boar is ongoing. The situation in the Red Sea has led to a slowdown in Ukrainian agricultural exports in January. Attacks by Iran-allied Houthi militia in Yemen on ships in the region since November have slowed trade between Asia and Europe and alarmed major powers. An additional reason for lower shipments was the New Year holidays. Ukraine exported 4.8 million metric tons of food via its Black Sea Corridor in December, surpassing the maximum monthly volume exported under a previous UN-brokered grain deal. Prior to Russia's invasion in February of 2022, Ukraine exported about 6 million metric tons of food per month via the Black Sea. It now relies on the corridor along its western Black Sea coast near Romania and Bulgaria, its small ports on the Danube River, and exports over land via Eastern Europe. Kyiv believes it has managed to dislodge Russian forces from the western part of the Black Sea, securing grain exports which are crucial to its economy 
as well as for important imports. The Panama Canal is cutting daily ship crossing by 36 percent because of a severe drought that began last year. Administrators of one of the world's most important trade routes now estimate that dipping water levels could cost them as much as $700 million U.S. this year. One of the most severe droughts in Panama's history is causing a traffic jam of boats, casting doubts on the canal's reliability for international shipping and raising concerns about its effect on global trade. And SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg Today. And yes, it is free. And that's today's Ag Review. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after this. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's cloudy and minus 16 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Autonomous rail car loading may be coming to a grain terminal elevator near you. A new system has been developed by Rayhawk Industries for both the potash and grain sectors. A nutrient potash mine in Saskatchewan is first off the mark, according to Rayhawk's president and CEO. Tom Bame spoke at Rayhawk's open house in Saskatoon yesterday. He says the design work started back in 2020. After a number of prototypes, we changed gears. We went from a cable system to a gantry system. There is a number of different iterations, but it didn't take us long to find a, a way of being mechanically simple, computer complex. Something that really boasts reliability, maintainability in the eyes of the user. A system that they can understand and if, and if something breaks or a weld cracks, they can fix it. You know, offering that high level of efficiency and reliability in their, not just in the operation, but in their mindset while having some complexity behind the computers utilizing the latest technology. He says it's a faster and safer way to load rail cars. This is an extremely fast way of loading rail cars. In fact, this technology that we're going to demonstrate today is in a stationary position where we'll have a rail car in a stationary position. But we've also developed the technology to work on moving rail cars. So a train doesn't need to stop. You know, a lot of the newer loading facilities use what's called a loop track system and a train slows down to a predetermined level and there's operator typically on top of that walking along the rail car with a fall arrest on a cable track system opening the cars while it's moving to get filled. Our system can keep up with that. In fact, it can do it so fast that we can almost open two cars at a time during that same speed. Beam says Rayhawk's design is unique. There are some parties out there trying to utilize a robot arm technology to do this task. But by design, as I'll come back to the mechanically simple, our invention is designed to operate from minus 40 to plus 40. We're not limited by the temperature restrictions that a robot arm might be limited to. And we also have a higher level of, of confidence on maintainability. You know, this can be worked on. Some of the common parts on here are similar parts that are found in the gantry crane industry. And there's crane service companies everywhere. In addition to that, there's many, many cranes that exist in industry. They're just yellow. So the reliability and the confidence of operation is already there in the marketplace. We're just 
adjusting it and adopting it to do a different purpose and adding our own creation to it. Bame says the first unit will be running soon at a nutrient potash mine in central Saskatchewan. We've been working on that for some time. We've fully commissioned the system and later this month we're just going to be going through the last of the training initiatives to train our operators how to use it and then it's theirs to run. He believes their new system will work for potash mines and grain elevators. It'll work in the same way for both and interestingly enough both have the similar challenges with having operators on top of rail cars. Same safety issues, same efficiency uh, concerns, same reliability types of concerns. So the market is, in those aspects, very similar. However, potash ships a lot more volume, so by default, they're moving a lot more rail cars as compared to grain. So the amount of rail cars that are filled daily or weekly at any of these inland terminals is fewer than what you'd see in a potash mine. However, what we're hearing and seeing through our research is that in the egg sector, they have other challenges. We're finding workers to do this job because it's not a, a very desirable job. Finding workers to do that work is becoming an increasing challenge. It's a, a human capital shortage, if you will, not so much a, uh, a safety issue as well, right? And Bame says they've been in contact with grain elevators about the new technology. We've been in discussions with grain companies for a number of years now since we publicly announced this company through LinkedIn, through social media networks in late June of 2021. Within a handful of days we had agricultural companies at our door asking about the technology and engaging, wanting to adopt the technology for their newest facilities as well as some of their age-old facilities. Tom Bame is the president and CEO of Rayhawk. The Saskatoon company held an open house yesterday showcasing its autonomous railcar loading solution. Provincially based companies are developing new cutting-edge technologies with assistance from Innovation Saskatchewan. An example is environmental material science which will use $378,000 from the AgTech Growth Fund to test a novel soil sensor. The company's director of science and data, Steve Mamet, says the sensor provides real-time measurement of moisture and nitrogen in the root zone, as well as collecting data on soil properties impacting nutrient uptake. So the bottom sensor is at about 70 centimeters, and there's one that measures uh, temperature, soil moisture, and salinity, and then the more secret sauce one that's about 20 centimeters. It's meant to be well in the rooting zone. That's where we measure the nitrogen and carbon and also the other things like soil moisture and temperature. A typical quarter section requires about five or six sensors. We've got a couple of, uh, we're calling them our beta trials. So we had a trial in uh, a year and a bit ago in November sort of test just how well do they run over the winter time and we made some changes there and now we've got a couple of trials in near uh, North Battleford and then near the University of Saskatchewan and we actually in December put in a few sensors in Australia. Mamet says 300 sensors will be tested in Saskatchewan this year with a larger commercial trial in 2025. Livestock Market Conditions U.S. live cattle futures for February are trading at 174.40 this hour. That's down 42. April live cattle trading at 177.30, down 35. March feeder cattle trading at 231.82, down 72. 
April feeder cattle trading at 237.20 down 55. February lean hogs trading at 70.77 down 32. April lean hogs trading at 78.25 down 20. And that's the livestock market conditions. Well, you should speak with your local MP on a regular basis and don't be afraid to share your concerns with them regardless of their political affiliation. That's what a longtime lobbyist told farmers. Dave Carey, a professional lobbyist based in Ottawa, spoke about how farmers can have their voices heard in Ottawa during the opening day of Manitoba Ag Days 2024 in Brandon on Tuesday. Carey is Vice President of Government and Industry Relations with the Canadian Canola Growers Association. He's also a former political staffer in Ottawa who has worked on three federal election campaigns. Carey spoke with SaskAgToday.com's Kevin Hirsch and says the Senate's amendments to Bill C-234 have sent it back to the House of Commons, which actually will put pressure on the Trudeau government. Yeah, we're certainly disappointed that we are where we are. The Senate uh, amended the bill uh, to make it a grain drying bill and to limit it to three years. They send it back to the House of Commons. Um, we've been saying all along that the, the reason the Senate has done that because of direct political interference from the Prime Minister's office. Uh, we saw that with the government representative in the Senate participating uh, only at clause by clause for the bill. Um, however, uh, we the one op- thing that we have going for us is that should the government try to delay or obfuscate or kick the can down the road now that the bill's back in the House of Commons, the government has no plausible deniability. They have to do it with their own members of Parliament, with their own, with the Liberal Party of Canada sort of brand. So if they choose to do that, they have to own it. Because you heard from the Prime Minister on down, they're not interfering in the Senate. We then heard from Minister Guibo and Minister Wilkinson that they did in fact call senators. But when it's back in the House of Commons, it's back in the hands of elected members of Parliament. And I think we had only had three Liberal MPs vote for it at third reading the first time. I think we know a lot more that are in, in our camp this time. So if they want to delay it, they have to own it as, as, as the government and they have to express why they're doing something that is so unanimously supported by farmers. So um, I don't know when this will air, but I am meeting with Christian Freeland's chief of staff Thursday morning to have this exact conversation to say, it's not about the merits of the bill. It's will you unnecessarily delay this bill or not? Because I am confident that we have more votes in favor of this bill than we did last time. So it's not dead, um, but it's an, we're in a situation where we have to continue to stay on it to make sure it doesn't get delayed and kicked down the road. Uh, we will see this bill returned at the top of the order of precedence uh, because trades have been secured. Um, so if the government wants to delay it, they're owning it this time. They can't blame the Senate. Do you think that uh, having farm groups, the, a large number of farm groups in an alliance pushing for this has been a real benefit to rather than individual voices? Uh, individual voices help, but I think, yeah, concerted effort because we needed to get support from parliamentarians for which are not, like they have pro- provinces where they have their own carbon system. So the block 
does not have a whole lot of canola in, in Quebec. So the only reason that we're able to secure the support of the bloc is because the commodities in that province are members of the Agriculture Carbon Alliance and indicate that this is a policy they support. So they expect their Quebec MPs to vote for. Same with British Columbia and other provinces. So uh, absolutely, I think in agriculture, as I said in my talk, it's all about wedge issues, right? They, they're so easy, we're so easily divided. And when you stand together and there's no, I'd say, legitimate mainstream national farm organization that's either not a member of ACA, the Agriculture Carbon Alliance, or not fully supportive of the bill, it makes it very difficult for member parliament to then turn around to the farmers in the riding and say, well, we heard it's, you know, we're not supportive. We have every group saying that they're supportive. So individual voices matter, but also that collective effort in Ottawa on a daily basis on this bill has been key to get members of parliament for which carbon pricing is, is dealt with differently in their province, uh, being Quebec, BC, etc. How has the Show Us Your Receipts campaign gone? It's relatively new. We only launched it right before the holidays. Uh, I think at last check, we had about 40 receipts from, from uh, farmers come in. We need more from the prairies. Uh, right now, it's Ontario and British Columbia that are really sending in receipts. Um, and again, it's, there's no silver bullet here. There's no panacea, but we want to make sure that the narrative that most emissions, 97% of emissions are covered, so what's the big deal? Here it is in plain paper. Here is someone from Sask Power Carbon Town. Maybe Saskatchewan's a bad example now, but from Alberta, from Ontario, from Manitoba. This is the real cost on farm. And uh, I know that's harder now because grain drying season's, you know, pretty well done. Um, heating and cooling and chicken barns is, and, and, and livestock and, and calving operations. We, we still need to see be able to demonstrate the real economic impact this has because farmers are paying a lot of money for which there's no behavior for them to change. They have no choice but to use natural gas or propane. The shenanigans in the Senate, is that somewhat at least due to a very different structure in the Senate as far as alliances and, and who's with whom? It does in part. I think uh, the fact that uh, only there's only 14 or 15 senators every week they get to hear from members of parliament about what their constituents' priorities, concerns, challenges are uh, does create a disconnect. Um, I think really the shenanigans in the Senate started because the Prime Minister's office told their representatives in the Senate, get involved, get engaged. Um, try to kill, try to delay, try to obfuscate. Um, and it's a way that the government can do it without, with plausible deniability, as I said, because they're not liberal senators doing it. They, these are independent senators doing it. I'm sorry, but Senator Labacane Benson is the deputy government representative of the Senate, very busy woman. She showed up at the House of Commons Standing Committee on Agriculture only for, oh, sorry, the Senate Standing Committee on Agriculture only for clause by clause of 234 to vote in favor of amend amendments. She's never participated in a committee meeting before after, we also saw the structure of the Senate Standing Committee on Agriculture change. Senator, our critic, Senator Dauphin joined. Second most vocal critic, Senator Wu joined. Only for Bill 234. They weren't back on the... I was there in the soil health study recently. Those senators weren't in the room. Um, so yeah, the shenanigans in the Senate, but it's really unprecedented that a private member's bill has got this level of attention. Um, and I think it's it, it, it scares the government because they've said unequivocally, they had said unequivocally to us over the years, no further exemptions are on the table. And then what really brought 234 to the national spotlight was the Atlantic Canada exemption. So that's why I was on CBC The National, CBC The Current, because all of a sudden the government showed they will bend when it's politically viable to do so. So we're making sure they know you want to win any rural seats, any seats with agriculture, any seats with farming, being trying to kill 234 
you're going to have to own it in the House of Commons, and your members of Parliament and caucus are going to you know, ultimately pay the consequences at the polls. Switching topics, renewable diesel, everybody expects we're having more crush plants, more renewable diesel manufacturing facilities, but some say that under the current system, uh, the, uh, the U.S. is providing support to renewable diesel, Canada is not, we can, we're going to end up with renewable diesel being imported into Canada rather than producing it here. Is that a, an issue uh, on your plate? It certainly is. Uh, you know, we don't get too far into the sort of tax side in the in the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. Sort of the groups that we work with do Advanced Biofuels Canada. Uh, I mean, we see the... the the unprecedented investment over the last two years in new canola crush plants, Saskatchewan, but others are coming online elsewhere. Uh, and we definitely see it as an opportunity for farmers to have a domestic market where they can deliver their canola domestically into a system that hopefully increases demand and increases the prices that farmers receive for their products. Um, we're always concerned about the United States, it's their, their ability to spend. They're, they're, they're 10 times the size population and economically. So, so they're concerned. Uh, I know that those concerns have been brought to the Minister of Finance directly a, a call recently about sort of what's happening there. Um, but yeah, certainly concerns. I think the government's, uh, you know, is aware of them. Uh, you know, what steps they'll take, we'll see. The, the next the next budget, obviously, we'll hope to see something that incentivizes that. But I think there also is just some of the practicality and logistics of having a crush plant in your own backyard. It just makes a whole lot of sense to use Saskatchewan canola or Manitoba or Alberta canola. Um, but always concerned when the United States goes really all in on something. Um, the California market has been huge, but I mean, we also play in, in the California market where canola has been recognized by President Biden as an advanced biofuel, so it's eligible for that too. So, um, you know, I'd say we always want cross-border trade, but these crush plants, these billions of dollars of investments are predicated on being able to access our own domestic system. Um, and the U.S. Uh, is a big player in this market, but um, hopefully there, there's enough, you know, market to go around. But uh, our government's going to have to do something. Obviously, we don't have the same spending power as the United States, but um, certainly hope that Minister, our Agriculture Minister, our Environment Minister, our Natural Resources Minister, and the Finance Minister are giving this due consideration. Because um, again, it's uh, we have our own domestic market, and I, you know, and I know farmers have different views on biofuels generally, but it'd be a shame for importing the United States biofuels to a system where Canadian farmers could participate in. And, and the other part about biofuels, which I know again, it's a controversial one of the farmers is. This hedges our trade volatility significantly. We saw saw what happened with China. Um, if we have more crush capacity, it changes our trade irritants. Most of the trade irritants we see for canola or soybeans or any commodity is the trade of the raw seed. When it's value-added processed here, we see less trade irritants with canola oil or canola meal. And the other last thing I'll say on it was just Canada as a country, and I think farmers agree, we've been so we're so endowed with our natural resources. We've been so good at taking it out of the ground, exporting and buying it back value-added. We need to get in the business of value-adding here in our own backyard. It creates good jobs, good-paying jobs. Um, and again, it gets the way of uh, saw with our oil and gas and our, our lumber sector, our wood sector too, is that our forestry sector. Take it out of the ground, export it raw, and buy it back as an expensive desk, or buy it back as you know refined gasoline, or buy it back as a biofuel. And I think Canada needs to get in the business of value-adding in our own backyard. Dave Carey is a professional lobbyist based in Ottawa. And he spoke with SaskAgToday.com's chief agricultural editor, Kevin Hirsch, at Manitoba Ag Days in Brandon this week. Please stay tuned. Your Commodities Update is coming up next. Commodities Update. 
Canola futures are trading down across the board this hour. March canola trading at 6.2810, down $3.70. May canola trading at 6.3510, down $3.50. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 6.95 per bushel, that's up 7 cents. March Kansas City wheat trading at 6.09 and a half, up 4 and a quarter cents. March Chicago wheat trading at 5.93 and a quarter, up 7 and 3 quarters of a cent. March corn trading at 4.45 and a quarter, up 1 and a quarter cents. March soybeans trading at 12.14 and a quarter, that's up 3 quarters of a cent. March oats trading at 3.77 and a quarter, up 10 and a half cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. Saskag Today will continue right after these messages. Welcome back to Saskag Today. I'm Doug Falconer. It's been a whirlwind of an experience for Carly Bowditch after being named one of the inaugural mentees selected in the Wheat Growers Farmer Mentorship Program last year. Bowditch says after being selected, she got to attend the Grow Canada Conference in Calgary with members of the Wheat Growers. Part of the reason she applied for the program is looking up to a member of the organization, Caitlin Kitsan, as well as a desire to know the process in agriculture policy making. Yeah, she's been a, a great connection and someone I admire very much. She's very involved and very passionate and, and doing great work for the egg industry and for women in leadership positions. She's just a, an overall rock star. I've been really trying to be a sponge these last couple of years. I know that um, government regulations and technology, everything is changing so fast. And as a young agriculture producer, that's going to be things we're going to have to take into consideration to make our operations a success moving forward. So I appreciate these young leader uh, programs and opportunities to be able to sit in and see firsthand what organizations like the wheat growers are doing on behalf of farmers and, and be able to appreciate and maybe one day be part of making a difference for Saskatchewan and overall Canadian farmers. While attending the Grow Canada conference, Bowditch heard different challenges facing the agriculture sector. She met with prominent people within the industry and learned a valuable lesson. The biggest takeaway for me is just that things change so fast but that's a good thing. So um, just talking about how far technology has come in the last 50 years and the opportunities that we have in the next 50 years and that as farmers and ranchers we have to be smart about what technology we adopt but also really lean into the tools that are being provided and created and make sure that we're doing things the most efficiently and using the technology that's available to us. Bodich will be going to the Wheat Growers Convention later this month on January 25th and 26th. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited to meet the rest of the board for the wheat growers and uh, just get my, the chance to learn about them and even what the wheat growers do to a bigger extent and then be able to connect with some more producers from the area. So the Grow Canada Conference, I would say, was majority industry-based, so mostly industry professionals in the room, and I would anticipate the wheat growers one will be majority producers so it's always nice to connect with fellow 
farmers and to see what's new and exciting in their world and be able to uh, reminisce and, and see what's up and coming for the next season as well. She notes the wheat growers thought of having a mentor accompany the young farmers, but decided not to, as a mentor may limit their ability to make connections. So having the mentee connect with the entire board of directors, as well as choosing their own mentor, was the better route. It's now coming up on 1 o'clock. That means it's time to check the GX94 precision weather forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions today. Partly sunny at times with a 20% chance of flurries ending as the afternoon goes on. Winds west-northwest at 10 to 20. A high of minus 16, a wind chill of minus 27. For tonight, mainly clear. Winds south-southwest at 10 to 20. A low of minus 25, a wind chill of minus 37. For tomorrow, partly sunny with a 40% chance of late flurries. Winds south-southwest at 15 to 25. A high of minus 12, an overnight low of minus 15. For Sunday, partly sunny, winds east-northeast at 5 to 15, and a high of minus 12. For Monday, a 60% chance of light snow, also a high of minus 12. And for Tuesday, a 30% chance of light snow early on, otherwise partly sunny, a high of minus 2. In the Paw and Swan River, it's minus 14 degrees, Dauphin minus 15, Brandon minus 16, Show Lake Russell and Roblin minus 17. Regina is at minus 18 degrees, Saskatoon, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, Winyard, Wadena, Kelvington, all reporting in at minus 17, Hudson Bay minus 15. The Yorkton-Melville region has a cloudy sky, a northwest wind at 17 kilometers an hour. 80% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 16 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 25 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again on Monday at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.